Welcome back, everyone, to Never Stay Dead. We are back, and I am Damien, and I'm here with Matt. Want to say hi, Matt? Hello, Internet. Today, we are going to discuss whether the current Batman run by Tom King has any value whatsoever. Ooh, all right. It's a very controversial... I think there's a lot of haters and a lot of lovers for this uh, run of Batman. Would you agree? Or do you only know of haters? I, well, I know people who defend it, and I've tried to find polite ways to ask why. <laughs> Which is hard to do online. <laughs> well, and I'll provide my version of why, but I'm probably not the most enth- enthusiastic about this run. But much more than Matt, I believe. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And Tom King came into becoming the Batman writer pretty early in his career. I think it wasn't too long ago that he was not a comic book writer at all. And he wrote a novel called Something Empty Skies. I now can't remember the name of his novel. But it was one of those novels about superheroes. And it was written kind of out of chronological order. I I read about the first third of it. Which, and it was kind of slow going, and I had to return it to the library. And then he may have written a few short comics here and there, and then he was invited to co-write Grayson with uh, Tim Seeley. And they had what I thought was an excellent run on Grayson, doing Grayson as kind of a, a spy. At some point, he kind of revealed in podcast interviews and stuff that he was an ex-CIA operative. And he joined the CIA after 9-11 to help fight terrorism. And he became a counterterrorism. I don't know. If, I think he was a field operative at times anyway. And so then, um, I'm not sure the order of things. He did this, uh, what's it called? The Sheriff of Baghdad uh, at Vertigo, right. which I have not read. And he did um, a miniseries on the Omega Men, which was quite good, but maybe not totally successful in its completion. Right. He had his part on the Dark Side War. Um, oh, I forgot about that. Oh, and around that time, uh, he did. He worked on the Robin War, which was something I... Oh, okay. So he's been involved sure. in some of the crossovers. But then he... Um, but I think Grayson and um, the Omega Men were his major DC works. And then at Marvel, he did a maxi-series, a 12-issue series on The Vision, which... For me, for my money, was an outstanding comic book. It was kind of revisioning the vision as a suburban family man, robot gone wrong. And, <laughs> and, um, and that won all kinds of accolades. I think it won an Eisner, Eisner for him. And it, I think it was kind of the result of that and DC seeing how good the trade sales were for Omega Men. I get that information from a podcast that King was on that led them to go back to King and say, we want to sign you up on an exclusive deal. And what would you like to write now? And he said, Batman. And they gave him Batman. Um, That's my understanding of Tom King's career. And now he's also getting a lot of notoriety for writing this updated postmodern take on Mr. Miracle, Jack Kirby's classic character from the new gods. Right. I just wanted to put all that into context because I think it's interesting how fast his career has taken off. You forgot one very important entry okay. uh, in his pre-comic work. He did a book called Busty, 
which is what? one man's obsession with breasts. Really? <laughs> Warning, adults only. So <laughs> I felt that was important to add. Where did you find that information? Is that like I looked it up on the well? Google and that came up. <laughs> and that's the same Tom King. One man's obsession with breasts. Unless randomly some Tom King wrote a book separate from him and that's the only <laughs> thing they ever wrote. Well, I don't see much of an obsession with breasts in any of his comics that I've read. But maybe maybe in Sheriff of Baghdad. Maybe he got it out of his system. <laughs> I never have. So Clearly know. the the generation of comic book readers who came up in the nineties and early two thousands probably all have an obsession with breasts. But That's my problem. <laughs> Whereas the rest of us have no obsession with breasts whatsoever. Right. All clean. Don't work blue. Good for you. <laughs> I've never stared at women's breasts. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, this took a turn. All right. So we're here to talk about Batman, not boobs. Yes. And so why don't you talk about your All right. experiences so, with Batman under Tom King, which has been yeah. like... Let me just add, it's Rebirth. been, uh, we're on issue 45 now. They're coming up on issue 50, which will be the wedding with Catwoman, supposedly. And I've read through 44, so okay. I'm current, but not to the latest issue, but forgive I, me. I have read 45. It's the start of a new arc, so I don't know. I wouldn't feel super comfortable talking about it anyways. Ah. But, so we get introduced to Tom King's take on Batman, the Rebirth 1 issue, which in my mind was neither here nor there, you know. And then we dive into this arc with Gotham and Gotham Girl. I, I didn't love it, but I saw where some people liked it. You know, I'm not going to jump on anyone for that one. Um, I think at the very least, the naming was confusing as hell because they're talking about the legacy of Gotham as the place and then sometimes Gotham as the character. And I just got a little muddled for that fact alone. But oh well, well, at that point, I, th- I I had the sense of the people I was listening to being a bit puzzled by like they were expecting some really radical Tom King kind of thing after coming off the vision under Batman. And at that point, it seemed King was kind of trying to do fairly straightforward Batman. Right. And I think that's going to come through later uh, to some of my points is he tries to write it all very straightforward, but he there's some complex things he tries to tackle. Um, Right after his initial arc, there had to be some tie over with Night of the Monster Men, which was bad, but that was bad for everything it was in. So, right. So maybe we'll just leave that out of the discussion of whether King is bad or good. Right. and I'm just accounting this book by book just to right. go okay. blow for blow. But when we start getting a little more into it, we go to I Am Suicide, which is... And that's where I dropped out for a while. I did too. It's a muddled, confusing mess of a story. Somewhat is seemingly intentionally so because you're dealing with these identities and kind of trying to draw a parallel between Batman and Bane, which exists um but it's already been done and done better right and done better in an issue by gail simone in particular in uh um secret six and bane has long been set up as kind of a anti-batman a a reverse engineered batman or something 
Right, and not to a T to where it's like a reverse flash or, you know. Right, no, no, not to a T, but on a metaphorical level. Right. Um, but for me, I Am Suicide is where this one really starts to fall apart. There's, there's this whole play with Batman and Bane, but you have the psycho pirate in there to try to influence and create more tension. Meanwhile, this is going on and I know this is resolved, but it's kind of like backhandedly resolved. Catwoman's accused of killing thousands. And it's this thing to play up the tension to bring in Catwoman into this run, which becomes the biggest factor. And she confessed to it, right? And was sent to Arkham. Right, but I, that had to do with the psycho pirate, and then you know, trying not... to save a friend of hers from getting right, taking the fall. But that would imply that her friend killed millions, thousands, thousands. Millions? Sorry, right, I thousands. Thousands, thousands. Yeah, well, yeah. No, it's thousands. I said millions because <laughs> I was ratcheting up for no good reason. Uh, but it's just why. What, what, the whole point of the story is you needed to get Batman to go fight Bane and have this whole contrived thing and have Catwoman there for a bit of a reversal at one point. But this whole setup is a lot to get there and not ever truly paid off in my mind. Right. Well, and so, yeah, you get to I Am Suicide's end and you have this whole bit where you've had this reversal with Catwoman but they're fine. And then you get to rooftops part one and two, which really should have been one issue. And like Batman and Catwoman do it basically. And (laughs) then she, yeah. And then she runs off and in it, they're trying to play up their relationship through the years, but trying to account for the different ways they first met throughout different continuity and whatnot. Um, And kind of pointing to like, it doesn't really matter. They're here now, which is fair. That's fine. But the way they play it is almost this Grant Morrison-esque multiverse crashing to just kind of point it all out, bring it all in and say, ah, it doesn't matter. But if you're just going to say, ah, it doesn't matter, you're not going to worry about the continuity, skip it. Right. If it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. Like, just get where you're going. And so there's all this hubbubaloo about all that. And then it's all for naught. And so what was actually the more interesting aspect was just brushed aside. And it's supposed to be a reprieve between I Am Suicide and I Am Bane to just make it so that there's this ginormous Bane story. But there's no earthly need for this ginormous Bane story. Especially because a lot of it revolves around uh, Batman and Catwoman. Anyways. Yeah, I'm not saying anything because I didn't read that one. Okay. Well, um, I Am Bane escalates and somewhat culminates with a a pet peeve of mine that happens, I feel, more often in Batman than any other superhero comic, where Bane starts punching through each and, or not each and every, but most of uh, Batman's rogues gallery, Sans, Joker, notably. Bane's punching through and they're all saying one terrified thing and Bane just punches them. And it's just this comic of Bane punching through Batman's rogues gallery. And it's kind of somewhat of a reverse of Batman trying to wear down Bane before they get to a confrontation through the rogues gallery. 
Right. As opposed to when they were first set up. The thing is, is like, I saw that there. It's not played quite like that, though. So you'd have to have the meta narrative to understand, like, why that's even supposed to be a thing. But it's just page after page of Bane punching people like, oh, I am the big strong man. And then they fight. And then it kind of comes down to Catwoman anyways. It's just a it's just it devalues the entire mythos in one issue because if Bane is this smart brawny man you know if Batman can deal with him all the other people Bane took out in a panel are no threat anymore like they shouldn't be like it just devalues the mythos well I think if one sentence could sum up Tom King it might be devalues the mythos that that's a pattern with him right I think you're supposed to be playing good cop, but yeah, (laughs) well, I will play good cop later when we get to some issues, but I've read. Um, Right. And then from there we go to the bun, which Um, I also skipped. I mean, I, I'm well aware of the plot of the button because I've heard so many people talk about it and I read a little. Well, and this plays into the number one thing that I find disgusting about DC right now, which is everything involving around Doomsday Clock and what they're doing with Watchmen. I I think it's scummy. I think it's bad. And I think it shows a lack of discretion. And that's a whole other thing. Right. And we can't really blame Tom King personally for that. I mean, that's a DC wide decision to wrap everything up. In this he, uh, Watchmen based thing, he could have not. I feel like he could have not wrapped in this tie. And you think he could have said, "No, I don't want to do the button." Sorry, Jeff Johns. Your yeah, I'd hope so. Your overall plot thing doesn't interest me, and I don't want to be involved. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> I assume I don't Jeff Johns said, "You know, I want someone to do something to help set me up for my Watchmen series." Oh my god. Yeah. Presumably, I just... And here's the thing. If you take out the Watchmen component and whatnot, these two issues are actually more of a multiverse thing, playing more off of Flashpoint than anything else. So... Well, I think my understanding is one significant thing happened in there, that he met the alternate universe Thomas Wayne, who told him basically to get a life don't spend your entire don't destroy your whole life being batman have more to your life than just that isn't that something along those lines that he told him that sounds right and that leads into his proposal to Va- to catwoman i believe yeah though in between those two we have the brave and the mold oh he hadn't proposed to bat catwoman at that point okay the brave and the mold was a, this is where I jumped back in. And I feel like for the most part, I've managed to completely ignore the I am suicide and I am Bane period and in, read and enjoy the starting with the brave and the mold, Batman going forward. And, and I was not enjoying King before and I dropped it and I came back with a different attitude, my own self with a different attitude. And I enjoyed it a lot more. Um, and the Brave in the Mold was, do you want, I'm sorry, did you want to describe Brave in the Mold? Or? You can go more to it. My big point is that it's one issue and it's good and it's partially better for its brevity, which is going to be a big component to... Tom King does do one going. shots quite well, I guess. Although I found it odd because 
basically at the end, spoilers, although everything on this, if you don't want Batman spoiled, then don't listen to this podcast, um, except for issue 45, which Matt hasn't read. But um, at the end, the Swamp Thing just kills the killer of his father, the bad guy, um, and Batman curses him out, basically. But I didn't get what the point of it all was. It was a fun read, but I felt like this this hurts the mythos of the Swamp Thing, and it what and whatever Tom King thinks he's telling us about Batman is not clear. That's fair. I yeah. And that's why I'm kind of a partial Tom King supporter. I am enjoying the ride, but he often abuses the mythos of various things, and he often is unclear. He acts like he's making a big point, but what is the big point? He doesn't. He's not willing to really put it out there. He's like implying there's some point to all of this. And then, um, okay, so then there's issue twenty-four. Which is the prologue is a prelude. And in my mind, it ties in directly with that second annual, which is the reencapsulation again of the Catwoman and Batman relationship. Right. So I, I guess I've, I don't have it in front of me and I've kind of forgotten it. It's kind of the beginning of the, the War of Jokes and Riddles, but kind of a, a resting point where he proposes to Catwoman. I'm going to argue it's it's just kind of the breath of air before we dive in to okay. that. There is an undercurrent. It sets up the undercurrent that goes through the War of Joke and Riddles. Uh, but, okay. So, I, I need to kind of make a hard break here. Okay. So, every one of the Tom King Batman stories up until this point... I may or may not like people are going to have different tastes. People uh, have different sensibilities. I'm not the biggest Batman fan. So that's part of it. Um, I, there's a lot about what DC's doing in this moment that I'm not a huge fan of. That's part of it. There's different takes and different sensibilities with Batman. Tom King's isn't my favorite, but I like it more than others at certain points in what we've had so far. Like there's moments and the art's been gorgeous all the way through different sensibilities, different things. If you like a lot of these Batman comics up to this point, I get it. I'm on board with you, you know, like what you like. We're not always going to like the same thing. I liked a lot of dance, lot Spider-Man comics that a lot of people think I'm crazy for loving. Oh, well, yeah, there is a number of problems that happened throughout the war at joke and riddles. And then one of the next, though not directly next, uh, Batman stories and Tom King that to me cross lines to where I'm really questioning how this was approved, how this went on, how this got to be such big of a thing. Like these are fundamental problems in my mind Uh with, batman in particular some just storytelling issues right. in my mind so i i just want to draw that hard line here to like you know i'm not a fan sensibility but let's uh-huh. dig into more of the the problem but i point. seem to be liking it better from jokes and riddles onward right so i cross that line that's, that's the sacrilege i wallow in the sacrilege of the jokes and riddles and other stories that have come since so tell me more about uh, what's wrong with Jokes and Riddles. Well, the War of Jokes and Riddles, should I 
is framed as before you answer me, Catwoman, on whether you want to marry me, I have this important story to tell you. And he tells her this story of the time when the Riddler and Joker were battling each other and gathered all the criminals to either one side or the other and had a huge war throughout Gotham. Um, right. Was that for the privilege of who would get to fight Batman? Now I'm a little fuzzy on that. Oh, oh no. That's not what it was about in the end. That's yeah. what it was framed at at one point in the uh-huh. story, which is stupid to begin with. So the lie was stupid. The reality is stupider. <laughs> okay. So yeah, we start off with it, it's in the way back machine, supposedly. Right. Which year makes this one, make less sense. Right after zero year or something, which doesn't make sense. Right. But that would mean that the Riddler should be in jail right then, because that was supposedly his first appearance, at least within this continuity right, of Batman. Right. And he's already out and being this big player. And already, and this raises questions about how Zero Year would work, because if it's supposed mm-hmm. to be, you know, before year one or whatever, the Bat mythos in general has been established. But Tom and King so- doesn't care. Because he has the full rogues gallery as if it was now. Right. So why is this set back? And also... Oh, this is a detail I forgot to look at, which I just need to look at real quick. He's looking at his vast digital collection. Right. Which he keeps they in a do... box. <laughs> they, uh... they do change the costume slightly, so it looks like kind of a Frank Miller Dark Knight costume uh-huh. with the fat bat. <sighs> That's just weird man so freaking hell so the riddler goes to the joker because the joker can't laugh okay so let's the joker's like killing comedians and stuff because he can't fight he's killing people because none of them can make him laugh that we kind of get that in backstory we don't get that in action and so the riddler is trying to solve this why no real reason. No real reason he should care about the Joker. And they're going to go to war. So why does he care then, too? Um, <laughs> so the Joker's <laughs> essentially right now a mobster in makeup. And he's not the Joker. He's playing everything straight. He's dour. He's just a grumpy Gus. Um, what kills me, though, is... If you are writing Batman and your only twist is to make the Joker serious, I feel like you're doing it wrong. Now, I could think of two times this has happened before. There is uh, De Mateus's Going Sane story in which the reason the Joker stops being a Joker is because he's dealt with Batman and he snaps into being sane. To me, that's the story that works, that's fine, and it's only for the moment. And it, it, the story hinges on that. The other time is in Grant Morrison's run. The Joker isn't crazy, bonkers, whatever, and is disguised as someone else. I never thought that worked, but it ties to the fact that the entire Grant Morrison Batman story is dealing with psychology and motivation and so the sanity aspect and the, thus the humor aspect with the Joker kind of came and went with that as the story changed and played with those in different aspects. Mm-hmm. So 
Whereas I never, th- I think that's one of the major failings of the Grant Morrison Batman story. Like at least there's some reason for it. Here, the reason that's given as to why the Joker's lost his luster is because things are too predictable because he always loses to Batman. Nah, man. Like, this is what drives him bonkers somewhat. Like, if you look at some of the older comics, like, he goes crazier and crashes crazier schemes because he needs to be Batman. It's like the wall he keeps needing to punch against. If there's any true consistency between the Joker and Batman, it's that. And to say that that consistency between them is causing this, that doesn't work. And this is this is the crazy thing. Batman and Joker have been done in so many incarnations trying to say that there's a consistent character trait to either of them. Right. Is wrong. But... This is like the only aspect between these characters that is solid between every incarnation of them. And this story is saying, nah. And with no good reason. So we're already to me, we're already starting on the wrong foot. Was there anything else in like the initial few issues that hit you? My general impression of it was it was just told in such a cool way. It was a tour de force of storytelling tricks. And I, at this point, and maybe it was, I don't know if uh, Mr. Miracle had started up yet at this point or not, but I came back to Batman not expecting to get a Batman that I would like, but expecting to see Tom King do interesting things. And it felt like a tour de force of interesting things, of he just created this feeling of this epic mob war, so to speak. Um, and of, of Batman sort of spinning out of control and too many things going on at once for Batman to handle. And it, it was, you know, beautifully illustrated. And I, I don't know what else to say about it, in fact, because it, it wasn't the Joker and the Riddler that I'm terribly familiar with. Um, but then again, like you say, those things keep changing. So I, you know, I just don't even know. I think the Riddler was somewhat based on, on Snyder's Riddler, but the Joker was, was a different kind of Joker than Snyder's Joker. Well, that's to be sure. But Snyder's Joker is kind of like a magical serial killer. And I didn't like that. I kind of liked this Joker better as a um, kind of a, a mob boss slash serial killer. As like every other Batman villain, like <laughs> I just okay. So we get it broken down, and the the next part that kills me is you have a huge portion of the Batman villain cast falling in line with these guys, and you know that totally. I didn't believe that. You know how is it so easy for them to control all these people, and if they're that powerful, then surely they could be batman <laughs> you know what i'm saying if if in a way like i had to accept that tom king was telling telling me a story that i couldn't believe in but when i accepted that i thought it was a a brilliant tour de force it was another way i look at tom king is it's like going to a three ring circus and seeing all the different acts in the three rings performed perfectly all at the same time they don't have a lot of plot to the three rings, but the, the three rings remain fascinating to me. 
So, okay, so, so I agree with you. Tom King is flawed, but I managed to enjoy him anyway. That's all I'm saying. I can't really defend the War of Joke and Riddles. And if uh, you haven't got to the end yet, but the end, I thought, really fell on its face and really shows how Tom King kind of is an empty vessel, a bunch of tricks without a whole lot of meaning. So I skip to the, the end, the, the reason why he was telling Catwoman the whole story? Well, I have two big points before we get okay, there. Okay, well, why don't we continue Because the war joke following your like thoughts through it. The bulk of this for me. Um, so in the middle of the war and joke and riddles, you have essentially more or less an entire issue devoted to Deathstroke and Deadshot going at it. And supposedly this goes on for weeks as Batman does nothing. Right, they as kill they... hundreds of people. Just right. while trying to kill each other. And Batman is a total, uh, totally impotent to stop it. Well, not only is Batman totally impotent, hundreds of people are dying. While two trained assassins who, ge- like, Deadshot generally won't kill people he doesn't need to, but he's not necessarily super opposed to it. Mm-hmm. Deathstroke's the consummate professional, so he would avoid doing that if for reputation over anything else. So we're destroying both of these characters, M.O., to a point of sociopathy that goes beyond what either one right. of them would do. And they're fighting each other over... What? Why? <laughs> Just because are... one's on the side of the Riddler and one's on the side of the Joker. Yeah, no. That's not a motive. No, but no, that's, that's bad reason. storytelling. That's such bad storytelling. <laughs> that is not character motivation. That doesn't fit anything within these characters. And you're breaking these two side characters to have an entire issue in which the greatest atrocity that's actually depicted on page of this entire war happens. Most of this war does not happen on page. Most of these character interactions never actually happen. The most character interaction we get between these two villains outside of the ending is in one issue where they all sit down to go have a dinner with Bruce Wayne. Because the idea is that money will be a greater power than Batman will be in this supposed gang war right yeah the whole sit down thing with bruce wayne was ridiculous too well not only is it ridiculous Mm -hmm. it's a storytelling trick you see in beginners workshops it's like taking a writing exercise and actually working it into your story Uh where you get your characters and you basically sit them down in a room to talk out their conflict is the idea if you're actually doing that in the middle of a superhero story, you're taking the writing exercise, coming up with the flimsiest excuse, and literally just doing the writing exercise. You're not telling the story. Nothing about the story advanced in that issue when you have these two ideologies that should be coming to the table. The problem is is that neither character is representing either of their general ideologies, so they have nothing of substance to say. <laughs> well, I wish I had that scene in front of me because I thought it was kind of a... It made no logical sense, but I thought it was kind of a a tour de force of kind of setting and playing with the the expectations of... I don't know. It, it came off as kind of this shocking, bizarre scene. All of this whole joke of war and riddles was like taking superhero tropes 
and doing it as some kind of absurdist play almost so that the That's the logic fair. behind things didn't matter it was all about the crazy you know what next crazy scene can we come up with but yeah i think that tom king i you know another one of my basic theses of tom king is he doesn't really believe in superheroes and it shows in his stories and he doesn't believe in supervillains either it's the, the these aren't real enough to him as a writer for him to take them seriously he takes them as i don't know stunts or magic tricks rather than stories I, he may I not agree be with a that. writer of stories so much as a performer or something i okay so i see what you're saying with the superhero bit like you know, that i think that could make a really interesting batman story if you really pare down take away the superhero thing let this go but that requires a more character-based writing approach not that uh-huh. everything has to be a you know momentous occasion or anything but like you have the joker sitting at the table you know why does this need to happen and we have an entire page with about two sentences worth of dialogue and that culminates in who cares about the riddler which is (laughs) which he's saying straight he's not saying as a joke right now i'm remembering the insane premise behind that dinner was that um Whoever wins, whatever was it, Bruce Wayne was going to decide whose argument was better, would get right. Batman to be on his side. Batman yeah. is going to choose one gang of criminals to work with to defeat Over another gang of criminals. Yeah. That, that really struck me as a bizarre thing for Batman to do. Oh, right. And then... But its very bizarreness, I think, is at the core of, of Tom King. He... He wants to upend any of your desires for what a superhero should be like. Well, yeah. So I'm ag- I'm agreeing with you, but saying that viewed from a certain angle, I was able to enjoy it. But I don't know. So a lot of people. Tom King's houses of cards all fall apart for me by the end when you then examining what it was really about. Well, yeah, but you're me... right. You're noticing along the way how the characters are characterization's wrong the motivation's wrong the the logistics are wrong (laughs) well and so like a lot of people when they talk about the story point to the bit with kite man yeah which really doesn't make much sense to me there's something that works with kite man and i can't really fight against it a because there's no legacy to fight against there right i don't really care and it's not that i want to fight and say that because something was one way it can't be another later it's just if you have an established character, if you want them to go somewhere else, you just have to earn it in some way. And this char- mm. this story doesn't earn what it does with most of the characters. It spends so much time with Kite Man, though, relatively, that I guess it works. But for me, like, oh, he's a man who has a family and wants things to go okay is like, okay, sure, and things Whatever. always go wrong for him, and he's always used by other people. He's used by Batman. He's used by the Joker. He's used by the Riddler. He's kind of used by Batman. Though Batman doesn't need... Batman... Okay, here's the part that drives me nuts about Kite Man at the end, though. Is Kite Man's brought in to bring in Batman's little squad to have kites to fly into this kind of hard-to-access area. It... If only Batman had some sort of thing that he used in every incarnation of Batman ever to do exactly, like, he doesn't need a kite. He's Batman. (laughs) It's ridiculous. It's almost like he said, I'm going to, I'm going to make you feel, you know, like with a little kid, I'm going to make you feel included in the group by giving you something to do. 
And so he gave Kite Man this thing to do. He could have solved the problem in some other way, but he decided to let Kite Man help him solve the problem. Um, why? I don't know, because earlier he was happy to keep smashing Kite Man in the face till he would lie down. Can't he just tie Kite Man up? <laughs> Rather than continuing to beat him up until he will stay down. I don't know. It. I have to agree with you in every way that this story is an utter mess. All I can say is that I still was enjoying reading it while it was happening. And it was only after the fact that I said, whoa, wait a minute. What's wrong here? Or everything's wrong here. So the ending, the ending yes. of the war of joke and riddles, jokes and riddles. Yes. Which is played up the entire time. Jokes and riddles. We have the Joker and we have the Riddler. Right. So much of this hinges on a stupid, like, literary BS question. What is the difference between a joke and a riddle? There should be some profound idea that should split right. the ideologies between these two and get to it. What do we get at the end of this fucking mess? <laughs> he asked me if I knew the difference between a joke and a riddle. I said no. He said when I figured that out, I'd understand. Fuck you. Write your story. Don't ask me to write it for you. That is mind-bogglingly... That is terrible. That is right. wrong. He should have been kicked out of the DC offices from the top mm -hmm. window when they turned that in. That is unexcusable. That is bullshit. <laughs> I can't. But for a lot of people, it seems to be enough to imply some deep literary thing going on without delivering upon it. It seems well, to work. It seems to work for people. That's kind most, of a mystery for me. But um, Most people should demand more from their storytellers, <laughs> i.e. tell ask them to actually tell their story. Right. That's ridiculous. But this, to me, reflects that same thing with the Swamp Thing story. What was really the point of this fact that the Swamp King thing killed the bad guy and Batman was upset about him for killing the bad guy. There was no... I wish I had that issue in front of me, but I know he's shouting at the Swamp Thing at the end and for several panels, like, why did you do that? Why did you do that? Or you betrayed me or you betrayed me. I can't remember now, so that's right. lame. But... Well, and so this gets to a bigger problem that I have with how Tom King's writing, what this means on a larger scale. Um, and if I can compare it, just because I've been reading a lot of this guy's stuff lately, J.M. DeMatteis, when he writes, and he writes these more psychoanalytical stories, which is one of his bread and butter kind of go-to things, is he wants to, when he's exploring a character, ask the big why, is how he puts it. What's the big why behind this character? Mm -hmm. I feel like we get the big why for Kite Man. I feel like... Tom King's trying to explore the big why with Batman, though that right. gets to another issue uh, later. Well, so the Joker finally laughs when Batman tries to kill the Riddler and the Joker sticks his hand out and the knife goes into his hand instead of into the Riddler's face, which isn't really a good way right. to kill someone, I don't think, stabbing them in the face. But... Um, <laughs> But that's just par for the course with Tom King with none of the details really making sense. But the Joker shows no sign of pain whatsoever, but laughs hilariously that he's the one who stopped Batman from killing. Because Batman was so enraged, which why wouldn't he be after thousands of people have been killed along the way of this this war that was all just well, the, piece, and he's, the Riddler's 
desire yeah. to make the Joker laugh. Which is, that's supposed to be the reveal at the end, is the Riddler did all this to make the Joker laugh again. Right. But why? <laughs> well, so that's, some people would say, wow, that's so cool because these guys are totally, so totally insane that he would, you know, destroy a whole city just to make this guy laugh. Not because he loves him or anything, but just because it appeals to his twisted idea of what's important. And it's important that someone named the Joker laugh. Here's the thing. Batman thinks Catwoman might not want to marry him. Because one time he lost his cool and tried to kill the evil person who killed hundreds of people for no point. And I'm like, that totally makes Batman human at last. That was the only thing in all of this that is relatable that Batman did. Who wouldn't, in the heat of the moment, want to kill someone like the Riddler after all of this murder has taken place? And the Joker. Both of them, yeah. I'd rather, of the two, I'd rather kill the Joker. But both of them. uh, Who wouldn't? And so for him to even think that Catwoman, (laughs) Catwoman, a criminal, is going to be shocked that he wanted to kill the Riddler and maybe not want to marry him. I didn't understand that well and correct me if i'm wrong behind the so there was the point behind the riddler starting the war and then there's the point behind batman telling the story to catwoman i'm kind of confused on where continuity is at this point Mm -hmm. um catwoman's killed right i thought so because she's done some killing in the new 52 yeah and this is continue contiguous off of that yeah so it doesn't make any damn sense. I don't know. Well, Catwoman under Tom King, and maybe throughout much of DC, Catwoman never really makes sense. And and that kind of bugs me. I could jump way ahead, but to the wedding dress episode to talk about. Oh. But, but well. you know, really, I wonder, uh, we haven't established where Catwoman is in the moral universe at this point that that Batman could even make a relationship with her work. Well, and to the credit of us coming down on this, like Catwoman doesn't care. So Right, she Right, but it's supposed to be this grand romantic thing that she'll marry him anyway despite this flaw he had, which for almost anybody would be totally humanizing him and making him easier to get married than someone well yeah and honestly react to that kind of killer i don't think you have to make much of a moral argument to say that that wouldn't be a flaw like that's right legitimate at that point people often ask you know is batman immoral for not killing the joker after a i know in this case it was the riddler but not killing someone like the joker who's a mass serial killer and who always escapes in the end. If Batman killed him, he would save so many more lives. Well, which I think is a stupid question. Batman brings him in alive. Great. Here's the question. Why don't the courts put him to death? Well, yeah, there's that too. Goth- Gotham must be in a state without the death penalty. Yeah, I'm pretty sure if a Joker happened, your state would like uh-huh. move that one to texas or something like that's not well and the prison guards would leave the joker alone in a in a room with some very easy to <laughs> very tough guys but 
But well, right. one excuse is the Joker's insane, so he always gets put in Arkham Asylum. Right. And the whole yeah. Arkham Asylum thing, if you really examine it, doesn't make sense because it basically says um, it's a mistake to take insane people and put them in an asylum. They would have been better off killed. <laughs> That's the yeah. moral lesson that comes out of Batman comics, even though it's all trying to be liberal and we don't. Justice is never served in the Batman world. And Arkham Asylum is usually an evil place run by evil people, too. But I'm going way deep in the weeds again. But. Yeah, well, okay. Batman comics aren't reality. I think yeah. we'll all agree. <laughs> so, did you have any other points on the war of jokes and riddles? Because I could nitpick that thing to death, but I feel like I hit no, the major... I mean, I, I just apologize to you and the audience for not you know, ha- having it in front of me. Because there's plenty of parts of it that delighted me on a visual level and on kind of a... I don't, you know, come almost like technical storytelling level, but not on a core real storytelling level. And I just had flipped a switch when I came back to Batman where I could enjoy it, enjoy it that way. When and, you say technical versus what was the other one? Storytelling tricks, I suppose, or I was like storytelling techniques versus the core storytelling reality. Okay, I'm not sure I understand the difference there. Uh, well, like think of it in a uh, a movie like um, uh, The Matrix. There's all these cool scenes that just blow your mind. And you could just enjoy it for the cool scenes and not be interested in what the story is underneath it all. And I felt, I feel like with these Tom King books in Batman, he's really, around the time of the War of Jokes and Riddles, really hit his stride in just structuring cool scenes if you don't question the underlying story anchors. Well, part of what makes the scenes cool in The Matrix in particular is, A, yes, the framing and all that, but also the framing and realizing that every character has a certain psychological or sociological viewpoint that they represent. And so they're kind of walking metaphors. And in that, their juxtaposition and conflict and way that they speak to each other adds layers well it was the it was the first movie i could think of that has these amazing cool scenes that you can enjoy kind of by themselves if you wanted to it may not be the best example because the matrix does have a really cool premise behind it all maybe the you know a better example would be something more obscure like john woo's hard-boiled or something like that um yeah one amazing set scene after another but it's really just a, a film about stopping people from, what, kidnapping people from a hospital or something. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty basic plot for a, but it's an action Hong Kong film. Right. And Hard Boiled is the one with the longest uh, uncut action scene, right? Right. It's full of all kinds of just amazing action movie things that everyone copied thereafter. But um, it's been a long time since I've seen that. But I was just trying to evoke that feeling when you're watching like a really artfully made action movie and you're just appreciating the action scenes. Oh, don't get me wrong. Like there's some cool storytelling and art here. Right. Maybe uh... it's like a series of set pieces. That's another term people use for when you kind of create something that within the scene is just amazing, but it's not necessarily the connective tissue. Tom King is lacking the tech connective tissue 
I don't know. So, well, what's amazing then is that you kept reading Batman after hating the War of Jokes and Riddles so much. Uh, I had reasons to push through the War of Jokes uh, and Riddles because I was supposed to talk about it with someone. So I yeah pushed through. I and that's something I, I guess I should bring up is I have a friend that's very much more into Batman more the way I am into Spider Man mm-hmm. and he and I were going through some Tom King Batman and he. He hates Tom King Batman more than I do. Oh, really? He just, yeah. Because he loves Batman more than you do, I bet. Yeah, and he just, the characterization, everything gets to him more than it does me. So. Yeah, and then the next sequence was Batman and Catwoman having a three-issue desert adventure where they they visit Talia Agul in some city or country that... The Justice League itself has said is hands off. No one's supposed to go in there. Which um, which is never explained what? and doesn't make any sense. If they know bad things are happening in there, why why would they uh, stay hands off? Um, it's kind of like a, a vague metaphor for international politics where we have certain countries we know are bad, but we don't do anything about them, like North Korea or something like that. Not that this right. was at all like North Korea. It was some place controlled by Talia Agul, I guess. Oh, and the whole point is to get to Talia al Ghul. Right, and have a very long sword fight with Talia al Ghul because Batman is too badly wounded by her henchmen. And Catwoman defeats Talia al Ghul in a sword fight and then gets her to agree to something, but I don't know what. It has something to do with the woman who killed thousands of people. Well, and this is also kind of more about the fact they're getting married and Talia al Ghul and Batman have had this... Relationship. Tryst. Yeah. So it's really... More about that than right. the flimsy plot that said. And here's the thing. The weird country bit with just, you know, whatever. Yeah. They're not supposed to be there. I'll let that go. Dumb comic book rules, whatever. Okay. Because they glaze past it, as they should. Well, right then, forward. you know, dumb comic book rules. Somehow, Selena Kyle, who's never trained with swords, is uh, defeats Talia al Ghul, who's one of the greatest assassins of all time, with a sword. In a sword fight. Even though Batman couldn't um, handle everything, she could. Right. Because she's Catwoman and she's... We're getting to the point where Catwoman is just so amazingly wonderful she can do anything. And Yeah, well, she's getting that uh, Batman touch, so it's just rubbing off on her. She's becoming, in essence, overpowered, even though she's, you know, only human. Much like Batman. So... I, I don't know. I mean, the other aspect to this story is a lot about the Bat family finding out that they're going to be getting married and them not having it and essentially True. having to be okay with it, which isn't much of a story there, right. really. So it wasn't really a story. It was just a few beats. And, right. And I just was looking at it. I can't figure out what she got from her friend. She just told her friend, I need your help. So that I can marry Batman. But what right. the friend... Con- is the friend now going to confess to the murders? I guess. The friend says, I killed 237 people. You'll tell them it was you to protect me. Even when I ran here. And she protects me. And now, now after all we've been through, Selena, since we were kids, you're going to make me confess so you can be with him, so you can be happy with him. No, Holly, never. I'm not going to make you. Talia. Oh, wait. No, I'm skipping that. Uh, but I want him, want this so much, I have to. All we've been through since we were kids, Holly, I'm asking you, please will you help me? 
And I believe that's it. We don't hear whether she's going to help her or not. It's left there. That's it. Yeah. So I guess we're to presume her friend confesses to the murder. Does her friend then go back to the United States and get... I guess the idea is her friend shouldn't, because she's her friend, even though she's a killer of 237 people, she shouldn't face justice, so she will stay with Talia. Why Talia is protecting her, who knows? And um, But that will be enough to, to get Catwoman off. I mean, it just... Yeah. Uh, it's very weak. It's weak oh. sauce. It just exists so there can be this big sword fight with Talia, in my opinion. Basically. And that's really the crux of it. And then we get more justification of Batman marrying Catwoman in a double date. Yes. Which so I've well I, I found that the the desert Talia scene to be a stunt that didn't quite work for me as well as some of the other stunts. But I then the next sequence of two issues I think, um, which he calls Super Friends, being really cute, where they have a double date with Superman and Lois Lane. Because they all know who each of the other is, of course. Uh, it was very cute, cutesy, but it was to me a stunt that kind of worked. What did you think of these two issues? They're fun issues. I mean, they're kind of forgettable when you put them away, but yeah, they're they're fine. Uh, more or less, same with the next two, which is dealing with Wonder Woman. No, I had a lot of troubles with the Wonder Woman one, actually. Again, it's two issues that should be one. The, the big thing is to have this cliffhanger in which it looks like Batman and Wonder Woman are going to do it. Right. And then they don't. Yay. But here's... Tom... Now, this one upset me. I mean, it was there were cool aspects to it, and the art was really cool. Um, but Tom King wants us to take take Batman and Catwoman and all these characters as sexual beings, seriously. Batman and Wonder Woman are in this other dimension where time passes differently and you don't age. And they fight against the hordes of whatever, Satan, for decades, their time. Yeah. And they don't they didn't know that they were going to be there for decades while they give gave this other person a break from this endless fight. They did not know about the time thing until they discovered it by having to keep fighting and fighting. I'm I'm trying to find the thing where it shows the timeline. But um like cuz we get fight scenes that say year 19, year 24. So you're in this other dimension away from the person you engaged to for 24 years. Right. And you don't know if you're ever going to get back. And you get a chance to make love to this woman who you've been fighting with for 24 years. And you don't do it. And these are adults who, after 24 years, how clearly do you remember a girlfriend you broke up with 24 years ago? Well, you're not that old to even know, but... I mean, they 24 years up. ago, you were six. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, yeah, it's just, it's silly. Um, it's, Batman should have, if, if he wants to dangle this out in front of us, make a real problem. Batman should make love to Wonder Woman and then come back and have to heal his relationship with Catwoman. But the fans were like, oh my God, I can't believe they're going to do this. And then they were so relieved. But... It's like setting up this thing that has to happen 
And then, oh no, Batman's so good he won't do it. But and then... I like how it's on Batman, but for it seems more like, why would Wonder Woman even care? Like, to her, it's much less of a thing. It's just, it's silly. Also, I don't know, this idea of monogamy being such a virtue where it's like, right. oh, you were together for 30 years and you did it once, and I think we can right. move on. Now that, especially yeah. considering the circumstances, yeah. like, I don't think we'll be that big of a deal. Um, Matt, you thought you were lost forever and would never see me again, and 30 years afterwards you had sex with another woman once. How dare you? I divorced you. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know... Catwoman certainly has never done anything duplicitous or right. damaging. I, whatever. Um, and so I, that now makes their love unreally pure. Even if I don't, even if thirty years, or well, I'm making up thirty years, twenty four years after not knowing if I'll ever see you again, I will still be true to you. It's just absurdly romantic. the The wild swings that Tom King takes. When I think about it. So I enjoyed reading those issues, but it pissed me off at the same time. Yeah, well, I don't know. The the issue that pissed me off more is actually between the Superman and the Wonder Woman ones, which was this origin of Bruce Wayne, where you have this psycho kid. Basically, this issue culminates with uh, what else is Bruce Wayne but a sick kid with dead parents. And I'm like, you're building up to this whole marriage thing, which... If you understand Batman, the idea of him being that romantically involved with someone is him actually finally moving on from that in a certain aspect as much as he can, because he's always distanced himself from other mm-hmm. people because he's so devoted to his crime and or right. fight on crime and doing everything like this so that the Bruce Wayne aspect of him can. But reconciling that with Catwoman makes sense, but it also allows him to be more of an adult at the same time and have a long-lasting relationship. I know he's had some love interests in the past, but this supposedly is supposed to be a big step forward. So, But it I, also seemed to tell us not only does Batman inspire criminals, Bruce Wayne inspires people to become psychos or inspires psychos to emulate him. Well, yeah. <laughs> but on the other hand, it made a cool one-shot horror story with a, with a twist that, you know, wouldn't work over if you tried to have this twist hold up a six-issue story. But a one-shot story, it kind of, it's like, oh, yeah, whoa, I didn't see that coming. I mean, yeah, I didn't see it coming. I just, it didn't do anything for me again. Uh-huh. But it was then... Good. Yeah. Then there was this Poison Ivy arc, which drove me bonkers. It drove me bonkers, too. But it was also really cool. (laughs) So I'm like, I agree with you and disagree with you on every one of these stories. I don't really disagree with you. Schizophrenic as that kid? (laughs) Well, first of all, this story, Mikkel Janin's artwork on all the arcs he's worked on, which is maybe half of them in Tom King's run, have been incredible. And this was like a new peak for Mikhail Jenin and his colorist. Oh, um, it's annoying to me that these terrible scripts are getting this gorgeous art to accompany them. I feel like part of the reason people are loving these comics so much is because they're getting top-notch, potentially the best art of any given major superhero comic in a month. And 
I feel like if you took that aspect and you put on an average art team, you know, maybe punch them below their uh-huh. weight, you know. I think uh, that's one of the arts now of being a successful comic book writer is finding a way to get lucky. the clout to choose the artists and then choose the artists well. I think that's it's part t- of t- uh, Scott Snyder's success that he got top artists. And when I heard him talk about when he first did Batman in detective comics, back when it was uh, Dick Grayson as Batman, mm-hmm. how he talked them into letting him use jock. I think it was jock on that yeah. story. And um, because at the time, some more standard Batman artist was slated to do it. Anyway, this is just another aside by me, but, but if you look at the successful writers, most of them, at this in the way comics currently run, they find a way to call the shots on who the artists are. So he had King had already worked with Janin, so he got Janin on this series. The same with a, and then you know he brought Joelle Jones onto here too, according to what he said in the podcast. And she's an amazing artist who wasn't getting as much attention as she should until she got onto Batman. Okay, so the crux of everything I don't like about this Poison Ivy yes. story is right at the top. Uh-huh. So, for whatever earthly frickin' reason, Bruce Wayne wakes up in a sweat and goes to inoculate himself, and in doing uh-huh. so, punches out Alfred, and then punches out Catwoman, so that they can be free of Poison Ivy's mind control. In doing so, Catwoman uh, is under her control for a moment... And then it is only pages later that it's shown that Catwoman and Batman are the only ones that are safe because of this inoculation. Right. Why not Alfred, too? Why not Alfred? Right. Or, conversely, why is Catwoman safe? Because it because it's it's said the the potion they have can't reverse the effect. Oh. Huh. So they break their rules within the same issue. Yeah. And he apparently already had the potion yeah, created. Yeah, Just he knew someday Poison Ivy would do this and had concocted. An they talk about some of the components in there and uh-huh. how she was so delighted by his use of whatever chemicals. Yeah. And I just so we're not even halfway through the issue, and already the rules are broken. The setup is so beyond the scale of what this should be, like. Batman. I could have given. I can give them the cheat on Catwoman to tell you the truth. It's the beyond the scale stuff that happens next that I just can't well, swallow at all. Everything at once, like Batman goes to punch out Alfred. I don't know why. Like Poison Ivy speaking through him, mm-hmm. but he goes to punch him, and then a flash shows up to take the hit. Like what? So like, the thing is, we have here a Poison Ivy who can poison everyone on earth at the same time and mind control the one individual human she's still a human being right one individual human being can mind control the what is how many people live on the earth now seven billion people on earth all at the same time it's slightly stressful for her so she is more powerful than the swamp thing she is more powerful than any any she's a thing she's basically god yeah, no, she's more powerful than gods in the DC universe at this point. Right. She's she's as powerful as God, you know, God in the Judeo-Christian sense. <laughs> Arguably more so? Like... <laughs> well, God gives people free will, whereas she doesn't. 
but um yeah no this is yeah. insane and then superman straight out straight up punches batman like everything in here is so yeah if you try to think about this logically at all you are going to reject this story right and you know people were all upset uh how catwoman could defeat the justice league which all you know also was a big problem but this was another story that gave Tom King and his artist a chance to do these enormous set pieces of this crazy world where no one, everyone but two people are mind controlled. And so it allowed him, if you could accept the illogic of everything, to create this crazy situation. Right. Well, and ultimately, at the end of the day, it's three people because Harley's safe because right. they're... And she yeah, even has a scene where Superman kills Batman. Yeah. And then they bring him back to life. Who who brought him back to life? I forgot who they Harley. said. Harley. One of the superheroes. Who? Sorry? Uh, I said Harley because oh. she's there when he wakes up. That's not really. Right. Harley is helping him recover for some reason. Um, I forgot who they said brought him back to life. Who could do that? I think that's also. Does uh, it matter? Like... It doesn't really matter, no. I just wish I could remember. So but again, it's just like, it's a chance to tell this utterly nuts story, and if you don't care about how the superheroes and the Justice League and the kind of powers that a certain level of supervillain is supposed to have, if you don't care about any of those things, it's a fun, crazy story. If you don't care, that's my. But it, yeah, but you again, have to let like go I, I, to enjoy this. You, so I have to let go of every character motivation. I have to let go of the plot contrivances. I have to let go of the rules that they themselves established. Well, the character motivation for Poison Ivy is kind of interesting. She feels she killed someone under the sway, was it, of the Riddler, I think, that she had joined his team in the War and Jokes of Riddles, tying back. See, I can do continuity too, Tom Kim. I'm Tom Kim and I can do continuity. It ties back to the War and Jokes of Riddles. <laughs> But this idea that because you can't deal with your sense of guilt, you commit an even bigger crime, I thought was a very interesting character motivation. But then they talk her out of it by getting by bringing Harley Quinn and her best friend back, which the whole idea that Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy are really best friends, you know, in the touchy feely emotional kind of way. Well, they're not um, they're not selling it as best friends. They're selling it as their lovers. Oh, OK. You're right. They are. But yet, so I thought he set up this interesting thing, but it was ridiculous. But but then it was even, I couldn't buy them just sort of talking her down. I don't know. But so for you, it was utterly horrible, right? There were, even the little redemption that I found in it, you didn't. Yeah, no, I didn't find that. I also have seen people who are soft on this story talking about it, because there's a contingent of people who want Poison Ivy to be a hero, which, by the way, is something that had come around and gone around with Catwoman and Poison Ivy and other characters in Birds of Prey, which was running concurrently at the time. And so this story is really out of whack, which really raises bigger continuity questions right. and what do you do with poison ivy after this if it really is if you do care about continuity we've now established poison ivy can control every human mind in the world if she ever wants to or more importantly at this point pretty much anyone right so anytime she faces an enemy she can use this on them yeah yeah and she has more control of the plant world than swamp thing apparently um, right 
it might have been clever to bring Swamp Thing back for this arc if you had to do it, you know, if you had to do this arc at all. So what I see, what I see in now, now the next issue, which you haven't read, has been touted by some people on YouTube as the worst Batman comic ever written. <laughs> so you should okay. enjoy watching. I'll tell you about that uh, video. <laughs> well, there's a video by Howler Mouse. Let's just say anyone who wants to can go look up Howler Mouse on YouTube. To Howler Mouse, this was the worst issue ever written. And other people are pretty pissed by the way um, he portrays Booster Gold in this issue that you haven't read yet. And I'll just say that I was surprised everyone was so upset over the way he portrayed Booster Gold because he's portrayed everyone else like we were just talking about uh, Poison Ivy totally out of character and totally wacko so what I think since the war of jokes and riddles he's just playing a series of riffs a series of riffs on this superhero world that he doesn't really believe in that he just thinks are funny toys to play with and it doesn't matter you know, like you, if you were a little kid and you picked up a Superman doll and you pretend he's Batman, or pick up, <laughs> pick up Captain America and pretend he's um, Jesus. I don't know. Uh, so he's just been in the between Catwoman saying yes to getting married and to their marriage that may or may not happen in issue fifty, because he's saying I won't tell whether they really do get married or not. He's just playing a series of riffs and. He doesn't care if they totally make sense. He doesn't care if they really wrap up plot-wise. He's just, okay, here I'm riffing this out. I'm doing my crazy Booster Gold story. I'm doing my totally insane uh, Poison Ivy story. I'm doing my crazy um, Wonder Woman and Batman almost hook-up story. And he's just throwing out these riffs. And it's kind of... If, I, if these were more expensive comics, I probably wouldn't be buying them. But at the... At the price they come out at at two ninety nine, I just every two weeks I'm curious to see what what will Tom King do next. Well, okay, and and for you so, it'd be what next atrocity will Tom King commit on the DC universe, and it is kind of what he's doing. Well, and so I want to make something clear too, because based on what we've been saying, I think it'd be easy for someone to say like, okay, well, the big problem is continuity, mm-hmm. and it's not continuity in the way we normally talk about continuity. That's the problem. It's continuity within the story he's telling. It's bad storytelling. That's my problem. I don't necessarily care that Joker is out of whack as long as you earn it, but he didn't earn it. And so, well, and there's such a consistent pattern of always having characters out of whack from what we're used to. Normally, when we see things, we think we see these characters slide away from what we used to know them to be gradually. And here we get all these sort of sudden breaks from what we expect people to be like. And there also doesn't seem to be thoughts of implications of things that are set up. And so it's just very much, oh, I want this to be cool in the moment, kind of like right. what you're saying, this cool set. But there's no thought about before or after. At which point, there's no setup, there's no consequence, there's no lived-in world, there's no experience to be drawn through panel-to-panel, page-to-page, issue-to-issue at large. And sometimes the issue-to-issue at large is something we rely too much on in comics, and I get that. But this is such an oversight again and again and again on just how you tell a story that it just doesn't work 
you could almost imagine Tom King in some sort of alternate reality where underground comics still exist, mm-hmm. doing underground comics that are goofing on DC Comics. Yeah. And and it's almost, it's wild to sort of see this most central of all comics to the DC universe being done this way. I find it kind of fascinating. And, it is and, interesting. And a large percentage of fans, unlike you particularly and me to an extent, uh, don't seem to be bothered by this and don't seem to even notice that these are problems. But some people and, also hate Tom King. And, and, you know, I mentioned the person who made the uh, the video saying it was the worst Batman story ever written. But um, Well, and so, again, to press my point a little further, like if these were Elseworlds tales, right. they still wouldn't work for the exact same problems. I agree with you. That's why I thought more of an underground comics approach rather than uh, elseworlds which is fascinating also because this is the guy who brought us the injustice comics that effectively is one of those no that does no work. that's a different king no okay it's a different king never mind sorry <laughs> well then i can't even or give wait, him that is, much what's his name tom something but not king or is it something king i'm gonna make a clicky clack with the keyboard tom taylor tom yeah. taylor is a very good writer of consistent reliable superhero stories he did a great job on earth 2 and a great job on the injustice stories now he mostly writes for marvel i was always shocked that dc didn't promote tom taylor to some bigger comics you know bigger main, mainstream within their universe comics because mm-hmm. he sure, is he's doing uh, x-men red which has been ballsy uh, i haven't you know been reading as you know i don't read any x-men but but yeah tom taylor's this great writer um but much more, he plays within the sandbox very well. <laughs> yes. Tom King wants to rebuild the sandbox every three issues. And then shitting again. <laughs> so, <laughs> I guess I think his shit smells okay. But <laughs> I think his shit comes in a nice candy coating. <laughs> oh, hmm, hmm. All right. Now my daughter I... can't listen to this episode. <laughs> I think we hit that before. But you know what? As a kind of Elseworlds story, the Batman Annual, Batman Annual number two, I don't even remember Annual number one, but um, with art by Lee Weeks, it was called Date Nights Last Rites. And it's sort of a one issue run through of the entire relationship of uh, Batman and Catwoman. And I loved it. And it, But it definitely felt like an Elseworlds. It didn't feel like it existed in, in the DC continuity. Um, you know, if it were totally in the DC continuity, then we know for sure Batman and Catwoman are not only going to ma- get married, married, but live, you know, stay together until one of them dies in old age. But it was a beautiful sort of uh, relationship comic book that was just the right length. And so I think at times Tom King can pull these beautiful things out of his hat and other times just pull craziness out of his hat. Yeah. I would agree with that. I I think uh, I think in the long run, from everything we've seen him so far, that that his most successful book is The Vision. I don't know if you've read that or not. I thought it was Mr. Miracle, but both are his uh, bigger successes. Well, Mr. Miracle isn't over yet, so it may overtake The Vision. But fair enough. My fair personal point. take on the Mr. Miracle is that that is another one of these riff kind of things. Each issue is a riff on something different, and it's not got an overall emotional story the way the 
the vision, all 12 issues form one story about an, uh, an emotional arc that a group of people go through. But anyway, um, we could do another podcast about Mr. Miracle when that's done. Maybe. Yeah, totally. So any last words on the Batman stuff? I think we pretty much ripped him every kind of hole we possibly could. Here would be my plea to those who might be meditating uh, on this. Read better comics. <laughs> so off the top of your head, what's the best comic out there right now to read? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Okay. So go <laughs> out. Read that. Uh, do not read Batman. <laughs> How about you? What's your favorite on the stands? Gen- uh, I'd say generally kill or be killed. Wow. All okay. right. Which is even more explicitly in the second to last issue that just came out this week, uh, an homage to Spider-Man. So you're going to have to read it when it's done. Oh, man. They're going to end at issue 20. And I, if I think I saw an image of the issue 20 cover, which is an homage to a Spider-Man cover, even though none of the other covers have any reference to Spider-Man. Okay, I'm but sucked in now. There, there's a character in issue 18, I was it 19, whatever the most recent issue was, that has a name that is one letter away from a major character's name in Spider-Man, a major friend of Peter Parker's. Mary Wan. Um, but I'd been, no, I'll tell you after that. I don't want to ruin it for other people. Or maybe I shouldn't ruin it for you even after the podcast is over. But, <laughs> um, but anyway, I had already suspected for quite a while that, that it, it was all a goof on Spider-Man. Or goof is the wrong word, but Spider-Man's a big influence on it. And would you like to mention the other podcast you're in? You're on? Oh, okay. Well, for those not in the know, I am one half of the Untold Talks of Spider-Man, where we go through lesser discussed Spider-Man books and rake them. (laughs) Well, you've liked some and raked some others, right? So far, you've done three different ones. That are out, yes. Yes. That I've heard. By the time this podcast comes out, there should be hopefully one one. or two more. And I find it very enjoyable to listen to, um, even though I probably won't seek out any of the ones you've discussed so far. Maybe the, maybe the last one, the Kurt Busiek one, if it, if I have time, I might read that one. I was going to say, if that's, if that does turn out to be a Marvel Unlimited or something that, or if you could find in a quarter bit or something. It probably is a Marvel Unlimited, I think. Yeah. Um, but that's part of a whole Spider-Man network. But if we're going to be talking about podcasts to recommend, I would feel remiss okay. to not mention Longbox Reviews. Yes, I was going to save him for another time, but yeah. Well, I'm not. Yeah, okay. Yeah, we both love Longbox Review. Eric, he's kind yeah, of almost a mentor to us. Without yeah, him, we might not be doing this podcast. We We were on YouTube and he kind of like brought in this idea of the transition to podcasts and he got me more interested in comic book podcasting overall and he's doing some great work with peter rios on their what's it called the legion project they're going through a series of legion the baxter building legion legion series they're doing and uh and he off he has a lot of we've but we've been guests a year or two ago i guess two years ago now on on there uh, we talked with him at a bar at a con, and he put us in his pod. And uh, he has other, he has um, Oddfellow Thoughts on, Travis, and um, George from the George and Tony show. And I think he's had some other guests, too. 
But whether he has guests on or he's doing his solo thing, uh, that's definitely a podcast that we both recommend highly. Right. So thank you, Eric. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, we will be back soon because we never stay dead.